So this is uh, from Colossians 4, a couple sections of Colossians 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those of Laodicea and Aeropolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Jim. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, as we uh, finish this time in Colossians, um, I pray that it would not be the end of something, but the, the beginning and the re-beginning of something, Lord, that um, for whatever reason uh, in your sovereignty, you have decided uh, to reach uh, people through your people. And um, I pray that this morning, as, as we see Paul signing off in this letter and calling others into this, Lord, that uh, you'd protect this room from shame uh, and call this room uh, to a place of uh, holy joy uh, that for some crazy reason uh, you've, you've called us your bride, uh, you've set your affection on us, and you've set us free to be the beacons of your love and your light to the world around us. Um, may we find great joy in that uh, this morning. Teach us, Holy Spirit, we pray in your name. Amen. All right, have a seat. So this is our, uh, our final week in Colossians, and um, every good thing must come to an end. Uh, you can hear closing time playing in the background, right, as Paul is finishing Finishing up, uh, but I, I want to remind us where we started this, because uh, like any good uh, good communicator, you tell people what you're doing, and then you tell them a bunch of things about that, and then you remind them, this is what I was doing. And so Paul began his letter, the very beginning, if you remember this, uh, in 128, telling them the purpose behind which he was writing this letter and all of his effort, and he says this, that he, and that's Christ, Christ is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that, so I'm, I'm proclaiming Christ, I'm admonishing people, I'm teaching them with all wisdom, and the reason behind that, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. I want to I present you fully mature those who are on the, on the path and the journey to growing up into the reality of what Christ has done for you and walking in that as a mature Christ follower. Because mature Christ followers, people who are mature in Christ, and you guys, you know this. You are this. Many of you are this. And many of you are the product of a mature Christ follower impacting you. 
Paul understands that people who are mature in Jesus, they have a profound impact on the world around them. And in this time, at this letter, when he's writing this letter, remember, he's about to pass the torch, right? He is, uh, when he says there, I'm in chains, he's literally in chains. He's literally chained to a praetorian guard at this point, awaiting sentencing in Rome. And he is about to be at the end of his life and at the end of his ministry. And he is, at this moment, in this book and in other books, he is transferring his call and his passion. He's saying, this isn't finished with me. I'm calling you to pick up this torch and live out this same call for the life of other people. It's literally kind of a version of Paul's great commission, like Jesus gave the great commission right before his ascension. He's saying... I want you to join me in the ways that each of you as believers are capable and equipped to do to contend for the same thing in the places where the Lord has you. As you mature, you're going to be a part of helping others come to faith in Christ and mature in their own walk with Christ. I made a slide, and don't laugh because I learned PowerPoint in like 1997, right? So again, the offer is extended to any of you tech-savvy people. (laughs) Yes, go ahead, laugh it up. Uh, Yes. I did this on the computer. Uh, No. (laughs) It's a good visual, because this is, I mean, this is the picture, it's just not a picture of the gospel, it's a picture of the book of Colossians, which is is that, you know, when Jesus comes into your life, it's, oh... (laughs) Can you put, at least put it back up there for a second? I know it's bad, but uh, you get a new identity. Jesus is like a giant boulder that gets dropped in the pond, right? And the ripple goes out from there. That I have this profound, new, transformed self, a new identity in Christ. So I grow spiritually in my relationship with Jesus. I grow in this new, transformed self and this new identity. I have a a new, um, we use the word emotional maturity, a new relationship to myself as a result of Jesus Christ. And then that ripples out to my new family. I have a new way of relating to those in my family, in the church body. And then eventually, I have this bigger worldview. It's a worldview that encompasses how does God want to use me in relationship to the world and the people who are outside of the family. That's how it works. It's literally Jesus, boom, and the ripple goes like this. Starts with me, goes to the family, and then goes to the outside. And Paul is saying, I, we're, we're talking on about this outer ring today. How, how does the gospel invite us to get to that outer ring where we're having an impact and, and being a part of what Jesus is doing outside of this family? Okay. So if we're going to do that, If we're going to mature into sharing in in Jesus' vision, which was Paul's vision, which he's now transferring to us as the church, our vision, how do we do that? Well, he tells us right here in this passage. So three things. Devoted to prayer. If you're going to link up, if you're going to mature, (laughs) if you're going to get to that outer ring, your life in prayer is going to have to change. Second thing, uh, you pray up so that you can proclaim. He talks about, I got I to have a, this life of prayer, and then that life of prayer leads to a life of proclamation. I actually begin to speak and say what I, I know and see. And then the last thing, all this stuff about Epaphras and everybody, and we didn't read every person at the end of the list, um, 
prayer, proclamation, and then my posse, okay? (laughs) Paul didn't do this by himself. He had a posse of people that he did it with, okay? First thing, devote yourself to prayer. Paul calls them there. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that, I'm praying, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. I want you to pray. I mean, he's, he's writing to a group of people that he's ministering to, and he's asking them, pray for me. Pray for us. Pray for me. I want you to be devoted to praying for me. That word devoted there, it, it literally is better translated. I want you to be continually giving yourself over to prayer. I mean, it's, the, it's the, the same picture of what it means to actually pray without ceasing, which I know a lot of us, we hear that and we're like, oh gosh, okay, bring on the shame, right? What in the world is pray without ceasing? But it's, it's talking about, well, let's say some things about prayer here. It's talking about this ongoing conversational dialogue about being in relationship with Jesus and following him and what he's doing. It's, it's, it's walking with him. I want you to continually be giving yourself to prayer. It's the same thing that gets said in Acts. They devoted themselves, this is the early church, the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, the fellowship and prayer. They devoted themselves to these core things, the scriptures, to breaking bread together, which would have been the sacraments, as well as just being in each other's homes and fellowshipping and prayer. And the fruit of that was what? One, the people were in awe is what Acts says. They were in awe of the work that God was doing in their own lives and in the life of the community, but people were being added to that community, that people were seeing what was going on in the life of that community, and it was so attractive. They were saying, what is going on there? I want to know more about what is going on there because they have something. They clearly are experiencing a peace and a joy, even in the midst of difficulty and chains, that we know nothing about. And Paul is saying that all starts with prayer. Because prayer is, is, if you don't have a prayer life, well, I'll just talk about it. We don't have time to get into all of what does meaning developing a prayer life mean. But prayer is union with Christ. And he's saying that all of that movement, all of that ripple begins with, it is sustained by, it is accomplished through ongoing prayer. You can't get to that outer ring without me being the boulder that crushes down into the pond. It's literally like in the Great Commission. If you remember the Great Commission, he says, he says, um, what does he say? (laughs) He says, I want you to go and make disciples. And he says, before that, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's basically saying everything in the universe is completely under my control and sustained by me. Fact. Therefore, go and make disciples. That's what I want you to do. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. So he bookends it. He says, everything's under my control. And you're never alone because you could never do what I'm calling you to do by yourself because it's my work. And in the safety of that environment, in that pond, you are now free to go. And the power and the strength of who I've made you to be, you can go now, but don't go without me. And you go without me when you don't go prayerfully. That's why he says here, prayer, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. You should spend some time this week, if you want to meditate on some words, 
Why does he use those two words there? To be watchful and thankful. Well, it's actually because, because through prayer, I become simultaneously grateful, right? When I come into the Lord's presence, I become grateful and thankful. And, and I, I literally rewash in the reality of, oh, Lord, this is what you've done for me. And it's out of that place of thankfulness that I can actually become watchful. I can become aware of who needs what has had such a profound impact on me. I'm thankful. So as a result, I, I can see somebody who maybe isn't thankful, who's struggling, and I can see somebody who actually I'm watchful for who needs what I have, right? Because in the Great Commission, when he says, go and make disciples, he says, therefore, as you go, as you're going into every part of your life, wherever the Lord's taking you, I want you to make disciples. Well, that's, it's still kind of vague, isn't it? Sometimes I'm like, okay, great. So which, which ones? Because I, I interact with a ton of people. <laughs> and he's saying, exactly. You're going to go, and, and you, but when you go, you can't leave me behind. You got to remember, I'm right there with you, and it's actually in real time through prayer that I'm going to say, hey, there, there they are. That's the one. No, no, not with this one yet. Hold on. <laughs> oh, yeah, this one not, right now, just a little bit. I'm going to say I'm crazy to you, but that's true. That's what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit, is letting the Lord lead you moment by moment in the relationships that you have. I want you to be prayerful so that you can be thankful and watchful. Think about this for a second. Without thankfulness, uh, this is true of me. When I'm not thankful, I'll tell you what, I'm only watchful for opportunities that are good for me. When I'm not thankful, I'm only looking, and I'm honestly, I'm only prayerful about things that are advancing me. I'm not thinking about How's the gospel going out? I'm not thinking about what's the good of somebody else. If I'm not thankful, I'm watchful for this guy. Eyes on me. But with thankfulness, I'm actually prayerful and now watchful for the need of others. That's why he says, I want you to be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I'm prayerful and watchful for the need of those outsiders and the opportunities, the open doors that the Lord presents for me. And a lot of times, y'all, these are like, you ever see, what do they call it, a dumbwaiter? What's that door that swings both ways? A butler door. Most of us have those in our homes, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a butler door. It's open just for a second, Right? kind of swings, it's open, then it closes. A lot of times, those opportunities are like that. Just, it's a sentence, it's a moment where it's like, oh, there it is. The, the, the door's cracked. And Jesus is saying, come on, whoa, jump in, jump in, right? It's like those people on um, that a golf game. Have you seen the windmill that they try to run through? Okay, I've lost everybody at this point. It's like wipeout. You guys ever watch Wipeout? Like, there's just a small window, right? Or you get... Anyways, you get what I'm saying. I'm prayerful and watchful for the needs of others, for the outsiders. 
And I'm ready when I'm prayerful. I'm ready, as 2 Timothy says, to give a reason for the hope that I have. I'm ready to fish. I've got, I'm ready. Even when it's difficult. Even when it's hard. Even when it's challenging to have conversations that are, he says, they're full of grace. Not conversations that are just full of fluff or whatever we're talking about. Seasoned with salt and the wisdom to speak to everyone as, as they have ears to hear. So prayer, it's a big, big part of this. If, if we're going to link up and be a part of that ripple, I, I have to be devoted to prayer. And understanding that, that prayer, and maybe we need to do a whole series on prayer, it, it's a means of grace that God has given us, not just for us to bring our petitions to Him, which we certainly can but he's saying, I want you through prayer to come into my presence. I want to be in conversation with you. I want to take my word. I want to take my words to you through scripture. And I want to speak those words into your heart. To give you strength. To give you comfort. To reaffirm your identity. To convict you. To direct you. That's, that's what I do in prayer. It's the place where the Holy Spirit takes the word and he massages it into your very being. And so I can stay in step with him and be nudged by the Lord. There, there you go. There's an open door. There's an open door. Even to the point to where, and I love that Jesus said this to his disciples because they were freaked out about what they were doing. And he says, don't be afraid. You will be given the words to say when you need them. I mean, how many of us have spent countless times having the conversation in our head and maybe never getting to the conversation because we just don't know quite how to say it? And the Lord's saying, I don't need you to figure all that out. I just need you to actually have faith in me and take the step to get into the conversation and trust that I will give you what to say because I'm with you. Without a prayer life... I would encourage us, we're literally walking blind. Without being with Jesus through prayer, we will resent the chains. You'll misinterpret them. You'll resent the difficulty and the opportunities that the difficulty is presenting. Because I won't understand You've actually brought this difficulty into my life, like Paul said in Philippians. He's in jail in Philippians 2, and he says this, that what happened to me, hey guys, I know it's kind of a bummer, I'm in jail, but what happened to me, it actually turns out it served to advance the gospel because I'm in jail. You see what he's saying there? He's saying because I'm, I'm walking with the Lord, I can even see the jail cell that I'm in as the opportunity to carry forth the mission that God's given me. Without a prayer life, I resent that stuff. Without a prayer life, I am only, and should probably, it's natural, I'd only be filled with fear. And part of why I think, that's the last thing I'll say about prayer, um, I, I wrote down, why don't I pray more? Because I know we're talking about prayer and witnessing. Like That's like the twin towers of shame for most Christians, Right? Like, geez, I don't do either of those things enough. Well, let me tell you why I don't pray. 
Why I don't pray is, is oftentimes because I don't ever let myself get into a position where I'm in over my head. Because I don't need Jesus in what I'm doing. That's why I don't pray. My world is so controlled, and I have such control over every aspect of my life because of my money, because of my community. I mean, a lot of different things I can use to kind of protect myself from ever having to get into a place where I actually need. That's the only time I really pray is when I feel like I'm out over my skis, right? Oh, geez. We spend our lives trying to never get to those points, and Jesus is saying, that's the place where you actually experience me. That's where you see me work in a miraculous way through you. I don't pray because I got this. And Jesus is saying, if you're going with me to the outside of that circle, which is what I built you for, I haven't just saved you to come be with me and stroke the harp and sing on the clouds. <laughs> like I've saved you to bring heaven to earth right now. I've saved you for that. And if you're going to go do that with me, we're going to have to stay in communication. It's literally like, I don't know if you've seen like films where this is such a guy reference, so I'm sorry, all you ladies, unless you love battle films. But you know, like Navy SEALs or something, they're like out there having a fight, and it's like, my comm's gone down, and I'm all alone. And we love that because the single soldier makes his way, but that's not, that doesn't happen. That's not what we're talking about here. It's literally, I, I don't have communication with you. I don't know how to fight now. I don't even know where the target is. I need to stay in step with you, and I do that through being devoted in prayer. Second thing, bless you. You're welcome. Prayed up to proclaim. He says there, I want to be prayed for so that God will open a door for our message that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Now, this may be lost on some of us, but I'm going to try to build the case for it real quick. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is asking a group of baby Christians to pray for him. And what he's doing here is, is he's giving us subtly a very beautiful picture into the humanity of somebody who, if you know about his life, we could easily think, he, he, is, he is smooth operator, strong, capable. He's got this, like, I'm going to be praying for you guys. Isn't it weird? I mean, it should shock us a little bit. He's asking for prayer. In fact, I don't think there's a whole lot of places we have evidence, maybe none, where Paul prays for himself. He's always asking people to pray for him. This is the guy who said this about himself and his conversion. <laughs> I know a man who was in Christ 14 years ago caught up into the third heaven. Next week's sermon is going to be on what that is. I'm kidding. <laughs> Caught up into the third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. So I had a significant spiritual experience. And I know this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. So... It's safe to say this guy had a lot to be confident in. Like, 
he had he had all access to things that that he isn't even permitted to tell. A glorious experience with the Lord. And he goes on in that passage to say, I could keep boasting about all the experience that I had with God that none of you had, but guess what? I'm going to boast in my weakness and I'm going to boast in Christ. I'm not going to boast in this great thing that I had that that none of the rest of you are going to get, but what I am going to boast in, I'm going to boast in the thing that we all need and that we all get. I'm not going to brag about what I have that you don't. I'm going to brag in what we share, which is our need of Jesus. That's what I'm going to brag about. And so Paul is effectively saying this when he's saying, pray for me, is this. I, with everything I've seen and everything I've experienced, I'm still locked in chains at the end of my life. And I'm facing incredibly difficult circumstances. And I'm weak and I'm asking you to pray for me. Because to do what I know I'm called to do in this season of my life, I need courage. I need clarity. I need faith. And those are things that I don't naturally have in myself. I have to get caught up by the work of the Lord and renewed in Jesus Christ himself. He says in Ephesians, pray for me that whenever I speak the words that are given me, I would do it fearlessly. Why would he say that? Because he was afraid to make known the mystery of the gospel. So he's saying, i, I got to be prayed up and strengthened to actually do this proclamation work. And I also have to be prayed up, he says there, so that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. It's a remarkable self-aware statement from Paul, because if you've ever read Romans and weren't confused, call me. I would love to hear about that. <laughs> I mean, the dude is kind of, it's tough to read sometimes, right? I mean, Spurgeon used to say, Jesus said, feed my sheep. And he said, I think most of the people preaching read that wrong, and they think he said, feed my giraffes, because they put the food so high up that the sheep can't get to it. That's Paul. And what he's saying when he's saying, pray that I'd make it clear, he's saying, would you pray for me as somebody who's had that experience that I would actually be able to speak in such a way that those who are hearing me would understand it. Not just that I would be correct or theologically true, but that the truth would be aligned with the open door, right? That the person who I'm talking to, I could talk to them and they would understand what I'm saying. Pray that I would make it true and clear. And what he's saying is, is I, I need help doing that. The Holy Spirit's got to be at work in the heart of the other person, but I need the Holy Spirit at work in my own heart prayerfully so that I communicate in a way that they can hear what it is that I'm saying. Help me say this in a way that those I'm speaking to hear it. And that's why he's passing the torch. It's a big part of why. Because he's saying we need a posse of people because you have a vernacular that God has gifted you with whether it's through your work or through your skills or through your personality or your Enneagram number or whatever you want to attach to. He's saying, I've created you uniquely to be the person to speak to the language of the person in front of you. It's like when I listen to my music friends talk about gear or talk about you know charts or whatever the stuff they talk about. I, I watch it happen and I realize I'm completely outside of the conversation right now. Like I have no clue what you're talking about. But they, they know. 
And I watch it. Oh, you, you guys are speaking one another's language. I mean, it, you could argue that this is why Jesus came to earth. Jesus took on flesh because he's saying, you can't understand me until I get down and make it clear in a real actionable way, this is who I am. You understand who I am now? I'm not, I'm not the slave master God who's banging my fist, get it right, and then I'll love you. I'm the one who dies so that you can come and be alive. Paul's saying, pray that I make it clear. Pray that I have wisdom, which wisdom is what? We had a wisdom series, walking with the person who is wisdom, Jesus, that I'd have grace. My conversations would be full of grace. Well, you don't have grace to give if you're not in touch with your sin. That's where we get in touch with grace, right? I have a conversation full of grace because I'm aware of my need of grace, which means that my sin and my brokenness and my weakness, all that stuff doesn't have to get erased for me to be a part of this process. It's actually the way that I engage this process with another person. Oh, you're broken in that way? Me too. Let's talk about that, and let's talk about how Jesus stepped into that. That's why it says that Jesus was made in flesh full of grace and truth. I would argue that the sequence matters. Grace and truth, right? Grace for us, if I'm full of grace, that means I'm, I'm full of what Jesus has done for me. And then I bring the truth of what he's done and the truth of who he is out of that grace. Full of grace and truth. Full of salt. We talk about salt. I'm not going to talk about salt right now. Last thing, making the most of the time and the opportunity. Making the most. Looking for those times and those opportunities for when the Lord's opening a door. All right, last thing, and then we've got something really special this morning. We need a posse. We only read some of the names at the end of this passage, but it's a fascinating list of people. And let me tell you what these people, I'll just sum, sum up what they represented. Uh, people who deserted other people and abandoned other people. Four of the people on the, the giant list there uh, had historically difficult conflict with one another. And yet they were on mission together for the church in Colossae. Paul and Mark and Onesimus and Philemon. So they had historical beef. They had people who were doctors and professionals. This list has former slaves and criminals on it. This list has influential women who are integral by opening up their homes to actually host the church in. It was three Jews, Aristocrats, Mark and Justice, and four Gentiles, Epaphras, Luke, Demas, and Nympha. It's the first century sitcom, right? Three Jews and four Gentiles. <laughs> Because it was, yeah, it was like three's company. Oh, gosh, wow, I just said that. <laughs> Everybody's like, what is that? It's an old sitcom. It was a religiously diverse and racially diverse community, but they were now unified in their mission. They were a new family, brothers and sisters fighting for their community. They were a posse. And this guy, Epaphras, the one that we read about, I just I hope it's not lost, he says, who is one of you who is a servant of Christ Jesus. He sends his greeting. He's wrestling in prayer for you so that you may stand firm in the will of God and mature and fully assured. Do you hear that? It's the same thing Paul said about himself. He's saying Epaphras, this convert, 
who came to me, he's the guy, he's the reason the letter was written, who came to me because he's concerned about this church. He's concerned about the same things. He's strenuously contending with all the energy that Christ works in him for the same maturity that I was. The mission has been transferred. <laughs> Epaphras and Demas and Nympha Aristocrats and Mark and Justice, they are picking up the torch now because this is not one person's work. You're going to be fine without me, effectively, Paul's saying. I've written down what I know, but now it's your turn to carry this out. And you don't have to do it all. You're a part of a body, and a body who God has chosen to move his gospel out of. So are we devoted to prayer? <laughs> Are we praying to the place of proclamation, and do we have a posse? I'd answer yes to that in this, in this body of people. And if you're feeling shame this morning or fear, <laughs> go back to my horrible slide and remember that it starts with Jesus, right? That's what prayer does, union with him. <laughs> you put it up there, didn't you? <laughs> I go back to get loved by him. And when I'm loved by him, then I love him. And then I talk about what I love because we are all natural evangelists. We all talk about what we love all the time. And so if I'm not getting to that outside ring, it's because I need to go back to the inside ring. Let him love me. And it transforms everything, okay? So we have a uh, someone, two people. Kate and Suzanne, will you guys come up? This is Suzanne William. Oh, oh, wait. That's right. We have a video first. Thank you. Uh, this is a video of Suzanne Williams. She's a part of our community. She's somebody who I would argue has let the Lord lead her in the ways that we've just talked about, that she prayerfully has picked up the torch, uh, and she is a director in Young Life Capernaum, which is a ministry, an evangelistic and discipleship ministry, Young Life, uh, to students with disabilities. So we're going to see a little video, and then she's going to share a little bit. I work for Young Life Capernaum, which is Young Life for Kids with Disabilities, and I help grow that portion of Young Life across the southeastern part of the United States. A lie that can often hold me back or hold other people back is that I'm not equipped enough or I don't know enough theologically or I'm not capable enough, right? All these lies that often our pastors are trying to disassemble for us and remind us of the truth and remind us of scripture. and. Yet when we think about being a disciple maker, it's easy for those lies to creep back in. I love to remind myself of what I learn on Sunday mornings, that being a disciple maker is really just being loved by Jesus and sharing that with the people that I get to sit with. And it doesn't require a theological degree. It doesn't require this grand understanding. It really just requires being comfortable with being uncomfortable and reminding myself of what I know to be true because I've experienced the love and grace of Jesus. And so I long for other people to experience that too. For me, Midtown has been a place where I belong and where I get to grow in my faith and where I get to be a part of community. And so it has fueled me to wanna create spaces like that for my friends with disabilities, both in and outside of the church. So I have a local Bible study here with three young women with disabilities. The beauty of that is it gets to look a lot like a Midtown small group. It's a group where we share about what's going on in our lives and we dig into scripture together and we spend time praying for each other and they're learning and growing and how to check in with each other outside of that time. And so it's really going from 
from what could have been a once a month event to a community of people who are experiencing life together. And the more that I get to experience that at Midtown, the more I get to help create that for these women with disabilities who are in my life. I am Suzanne and I'm a disciple maker. Hey, I'm Suzanne, as Dave said, and this is my friend Kate. Hey, come on over here, Kate, so everybody can see you. And Kate and I met a long time ago, but Kate's in my Bible study, and we get to spend a lot of time together, and so I thought it'd be way more fun for you guys to hear more from Kate this morning than from me. So she uh, graciously agreed to quit her church this morning so she could be at our church. <laughs> so... Um, Dave said when he first started this morning, he talked and prayed for holy joy. And I would say Kate is someone in my life who teaches me about holy joy. She knows Jesus and loves Jesus and exudes this joyful spirit all the time. And every time I'm with her, I know more of the heart of God because of her love for me and her love for the people around her and her willingness to be vulnerable with me. And that teaches me more and more about the holy joy of Jesus. So in my job, I get to help grow Young Life for Kids with Disabilities across the southeastern part of the United States. And one of the first areas that I got to help start Capernaum in is in Swanee Buford, which is just right outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And that is where Kate is from. So Kate, can you tell us how you got involved in Young Life? Susan's friend, Jenny Scott, told me my mama helped me. When I, I, before I moved here, I did Young Life at Swanee Buford area. Awesome. And you've gotten to do a lot of things. You had Young Life leaders who really walked with you. You did all the things in your area, like club and Bible study. But then you've gotten to do a few really cool things. Can you tell us about those? I did summer stuff. Summer stuff is like a work week. It's like for people, they volunteer. And I, my job was, the, I was at Caroline Point, and we stayed there for a month, and I did a snack bar. And then I went on my first mission trip about a summer ago, we went to the Mini Cup and we helped get set for the new campers. And my old buddy just had a, a wedding, and I was her one of her bridesmaids. So. That's awesome. So you're a bridesmaid. Kate, Kate was sending me pictures throughout the wedding in her bridesmaid dress. You got to go on the bachelorette weekend. You did everything, right? Yes. The whole deal. It was pretty amazing. Um, and somewhere kind of along the way, Kate and her mom moved from Atlanta to Nashville so that Kate could go to the Ideal program at Lipscomb, which is a college program for young adults with disabilities. And her mom, they kind of picked up their whole life and moved here so that Kate could be a part of that program. But shortly before that, I was spending time with a friend, Barrett Ward, who is the founder of ABLE. And he said, if you ever have one of your friends from Capernaum who would be a great fit to work at ABLE, I'd love to have a conversation with you. And at the time, no one really came to mind. But as Kate's time at, at the Ideal program was finishing up, I knew that Kate would be the perfect employee for ABLE. 
So we uh, went and met with Barrett, and I told him all about her. And then, Kate, can you tell us about your journey with Abel? I I had an internship, and then they asked me to do their full time. I, QC, and Package Julian have great friends there that I love to hang out with. Awesome. So if if anyone in here has jewelry from Abel, it's gone through Kate's hands first. So Kate checks every single piece of jewelry before it goes out of there. She works in the jewelry department, and she looks through every piece. She packages it, puts the cards with it that goes with it. So jewelry that's sold here in Nashville and jewelry that's sold all around the world, anywhere that sells Able products. So Kate is the woman behind making sure your jewelry is perfect. And um, the other thing that Kate and I get to do is that we are in this Bible study together. And that meets, we meet once a month in Bible study. And we get to get together each time and over hot chocolate. Well, for Kate, it's a strawberry smoothie, right? For Hudson, it's hot chocolate. And some of our other friends, it's hot chocolate. Kate gets a strawberry smoothie and a bagel with cream cheese every time. Sometimes a muffin, I guess, if you really feel crazy. But... um, And we get to open the Bible together. And some of what I love about our time together is just the complete honesty and raw vulnerability that comes as we process scripture together. And as we pray together and learn more and more about what it means to pray together. So we spend a lot of time in one story. We've actually been in one story since last January because we believe that every story tells the whole gospel and there's so much for us to learn. And sometimes we are just in it quickly and we breeze through it and we miss so much of what God has for us. So we have been studying the story of the bleeding woman and Jairus and his daughter. So, Kate, can you tell them a little bit about your favorite parts of the story? I'm going to read it. But Jesus always had time. He raised out his hands and gently lifted his, her head. He looked into your eyes and smiled. You believed, he said, wiping a tear from her eye, and now you are well. So why is that our favorite part of the story? Because sometimes it's hard to be patient, even though Jesus is going to help us, even though we got to be patient for him to do what he promises. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we love that it says that Jesus always had time, right? His, he wanted to stop and be with the woman and all of his friends. Right before that, it says, we don't have time, Jesus' friend said, but Jesus always had time. And sometimes as we're learning to pray with one another in Bible study, we have to remind each other that Jesus has time for our entire story. That from that moment on, the woman went on to tell her whole story to Jesus as he held her face in his hands in front of this whole crowd of people. And we get to practice telling our stories to each other and telling them to Jesus together and reminding each other of that. So last time we were together for Bible study, we talked about some of the emotions that sometimes we're afraid to talk to Jesus about, or we feel like because we're adults, we should just ignore them and move on. So we talked about anger and frustration and jealousy, right? We talked about relationships, and sometimes we're jealous of other people, or sometimes we get treated poorly, and that makes us feel angry. And our tendency is to hide that away, but that Jesus reminds us that he always has time to hear our whole story, and he wants to take those things. And so then we have this paper that we go through every time for prayer, 
and the top box says thank you, and the next box says help, and the next box says I'm sorry. And we take turns filling that out for each other, and we write down everything that each person in our group shares, and then we pray for those things for one another. And then we get to check in with each other when it's not Bible study day and find out how we're all doing with those things um, and what's been going on. And so it's been this rich, rich experience for us as we learn as a posse of people that gathers, this ragtag group of people that gathers at the well on Saturdays to learn how to pray with each other, to learn how to pray for each other, um, and to learn how to be in scripture more and more together. A while back, a supervisor of mine said, ministry without prayer is the highest form of arrogance. And Kate is one person who has taught me over and over again about the beauty that Jesus always has time for us and that we can enter into prayer over and over again um, and receive and experience him in the midst of that. Mm-hmm. Right, Kate? So I get to be a part of helping Young Life leaders, like Kate's Young Life leaders, all over the southeastern part of our country learn how to um, get to know kids with disabilities in their area and invite them to be a part of what they're doing. So there are thousands of kids who, well now Kate's an adult, but when Kate wasn't a kid, thousands of kids like Kate who have gotten to be involved in Young Life and encounter Jesus and now are growing in their faith because a Young Life leader is walking alongside them the way that leaders have walked alongside Kate. And it's beautiful to see what God's doing in their lives and how he's using our friends with disabilities to turn around and change the worlds around them. Able is a different company and a different place because Kate works there every day now. And I met recently again with Barrett for a follow-up, and he said the greatest culture change that we ever made was hiring Kate Hemby. She's changed what happens there and what life looks like in that community and in that culture. So thank you for supporting us and for cheering on what we get to do in Young Life. Thanks, gonna, Kate. Hold on. Thank you. We're gonna, I'm going to pray for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, golly. Sorry. No. You can hug me as much as you want. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you. Um, thank you for this morning. Thank you uh, for the powerful uh, witness um, and the grace of having these two women uh, stand before us and testify to God's, uh, your goodness to them and the way that you're moving in and through them uh, and the work of Young Life uh, Capernaum. Uh, thank you, Lord, for Kate, um, Jesus, that she knows you, um, that she is growing uh, deeper and deeper in love with you and deeper and deeper in knowing how much you love her and that she's such a clear light of that love uh, and grace uh, to those in her life and in her workplace. Uh, thank you, Lord. Strengthen her uh, and encourage her um, to see uh, how beautiful she is to you and to the world around her uh, and the gift that she has to offer. And um, I just pray that you give her Uh, continued great joy as she's shown us this morning uh, that is infectious uh, to share uh, who you are uh, with others as she does whatever she's putting her hands to. Uh, Thank you uh, for Abel uh, being a home uh, to not just employ her, but be a place where she can have such a profound impact. 
I pray for my sister Suze, um, somebody who I admire so much and um, who so faithfully answered your call on her life, uh, strengthen her in the deep pastoral and priestly work uh, that she's doing with students with disabilities and their families, uh, the holy, uh, sacred, uh, uh, hard work uh, of, of making the time uh, that, that she just talked about, that Jesus makes for everyone. Uh, thank you for how she leads us in that um, and is fulfilling uh, the place uh, that you've created for her. Um, give her everything she needs. Uh, I, I pray you give her a double portion. Uh, fill my sister up, uh, and may, may when she looks at you, may she see the smile of uh, her beloved father who is saying, well done. Uh, I'm pleased. We love you. Amen.